it is amazing to be together, to be able to worship God together, and uh, we've had quite the week here. I know we, uh, many of us got out of school this week, and a lot of us are kids, and a lot of us are teachers that got out of school this week, so I know people are uh, going all over the place trying to celebrate school being out, and uh, what a great service last week with our two uh, graduates there, uh, Drew and Teddy and uh, to really set, uh, celebrate a lot of our graduates there, um, just how God is working in an amazing way. So I'm excited to be here together as we continue our grace series, and the title today is called Frenemies, More Grace Needed, and some of you are looking at me like, what's a frenemy? Uh, but uh, I, I had to ask myself today just to make sure I knew what a frenemy was, it, okay, here's my just simple definition. It's, a, it's a, somebody that you're nice to when they were around, but you don't really like them. Okay, so when they're not around, you have one situation. When they're around, you're friendly, but then you know, you know how that goes. Hopefully, we don't have any of those in the church. Uh, but today, I'm taking a little bit of preacher liberty with the word that I'm going to use this word a little differently where it's going to mean a Christian divided. Okay, so frenemies are mostly negative. You don't want to be somebody's frenemy. But we're going to talk today about a Christian divided and how in this situation in James that there were Christians that were divided, that they loved God, but they also had this other part of them that was coming out that wasn't so great where they started fighting amongst each other. And there was issues, and we're going we're to follow that in a minute. But just a little bit of review, in case you're new to the series, you're here for the first time, that he goes through, and this is written to this Jewish Christians in a place in Asia Minor where there were a lot of Gentiles that started joining the church. So for the longest time, you had only Jewish Christians, and then the Gentiles started joining. And so at that point, they started having issues and and conflicts and people that didn't think the same way, people that didn't do things the same way. And so there was some some tension uh, coming into the church there, even though they were all united in Christ. And kind of the idea, James was trying to get everybody back straight to putting Christ first and not letting these things divide them. So that's really our heart to be united as we go forward. And some of the principles that he talked about was, being quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. That's just a great principle no matter what you're doing, whether you're at home, whether you're at work, whether you're with your friend, whoever you're talking to, to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And another one of my favorites that's really a theme of the book is not just listening to the word but doing what it says. And kind of the idea that church... this isn't this is church, but church really begins once you leave here. That's what church is. You know how you put the, how we all put that into our life that it's not just about talking great when we're at church and we're in a real safe environment, but when we go out, how we conduct ourselves. And there were some discrepancies in the church here of how they were living when they were at church and when they were out afterwards talking to one another. And just really helping people with the simple principle of treating others the way they wanted to be treated. You know, that's the vision that Jesus started. In the Old Testament, it was just 
it, it, they were taught to hate their enemies, and now he flips it around and says, not, to, not just hate your enemies, but treat them the way you want to be treated. And throughout the book, there's this theme of the power of words. And it talks about the tongue, and it talks about fires being started from our mouth. You know, it talks about building one another up, and we're going to hit that again. They had favoritism in the church. In this church in Asia, if you came in and you were rich, you would be sitting up front. And if you were poor, you'd be sitting on the floor in the back. You know, and so even in the God's people, there was a lot of things that were not on straight. And I love last week the guys bringing it together that God has given us a mission that our mission on this life is to help other people know Christ. To be the light of the world, to put our faith out there. And hopefully this week you've been doing that and looking for opportunities to share your faith. And today uh, I'm excited that we're going to talk about some amazing principles. There, there's so many principles that we're going to talk about today. It could have been a whole month series just on today. Don't worry, we're not going to go that long. But the main thing that that he's addressing is this divided spirit. That they had a friendship with God, but also a friendship with the world. And I pray that we can uh, be led through that today. I know God's going to speak to you and to speak to me. And let's go to him in prayer as we we get started. I do have a couple prayer requests that I'm going to pray about. Uh, One is George Mark, uh, Rick and Donna's son, who is... uh, in uh, rehab, I believe, and he's also getting, uh, he's also studying the Bible. So this has been a prayer for about 25 years for them. So pray for George Mark, and then also for Jay Miller, who is Bernard uh, Sr.'s uh, youngest sister, uh, who, that, who is going in for testing uh, as far as cancer related. So let's pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for this time to be together. We thank you that your word is applicable Uh, back then and it's applicable today god i pray in a special way that you be with george and jay and just meet their needs god help them to look up help them to see you around them and i pray that you work miracles uh, with them physically spiritually emotionally god that they can be fully changed by you god get me out of the way today that your word can speak to us we love you we pray in jesus name amen Okay, so as we get started talking about frenemies here, I wanted to make sure Roy was paying attention. And so we got to go a little bit Marvel, right? We got to go a little Thor and Loki, and they're mostly they're mostly antagonistic, right? I mean, they're brothers and all, and they they actually helped each other a little bit. But there's there's some tension going on here, and uh, I want I'm going to tell you two. Uh, you know, you don't usually get to hear stuff like this at church, but you're, I'm going to tell you two love triangle stories today, right? Because I just want to make sure you're paying attention here. And it actually fits in with the lesson uh, as well. But uh, the first, and they're both about me because I didn't want to throw anybody else under the bus. And they're, 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 bo- they're a little different here. So the first one is in in high school, obviously before I I knew about Christianity and was putting that into my life, there was a good friend of mine uh, named Scott, and we were in the circles together, 
And uh, he, he wasn't like my best friend, but he was like kind of in my top ten group, okay? So you got a picture of that. We're good friends. We played football together. We had a lot of classes together. We'd spend time on the weekends, etc. And, you know, uh, probably the end of my freshman year, he started dating this one girl. And she, I won't give names because I don't, I don't want anybody looking anybody up. Uh, but... Uh, but she, she and I were just like best friends, right? And then they started dating, and it was everything was cool, hunky dory, no, no problems. So we, we're going through high school, and then senior year comes around, and all of a sudden, this girl and I, we weren't, we became more than friends. And it started a little bit weird, and then it was just like, wait a second, was that what I thought it was? And you know, so all of a sudden we start having, you know, feelings for each other. And then, but we're still seeing Mr. Scott, the other Scott around, right? Okay, so that's how it all started. And so then there was like sneaking that went on. There was lying that went on. There was covering up that went on. There was a lot of craziness that started because we started having this weird relationship ungodly uh, relationship here and so in that situation I'm just I don't know how everybody else feels in that but I felt pretty pretty good about it you know as we're starting <laughs> off you know things are going this guy was kind of uh, he didn't treat her real good so I was kind of like the the knight in shining armor right we always want to you ever notice that in your stories, you're always the knight in shining armor? You ever figured that out? There's a reason for that. Um, and so I was like, oh, this is going to be way better, right? She's going to be able to get rid of this guy. And the only problem was that she didn't. You know, and so we had a few issues over that. And, and I was getting very upset. And it, 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 it turned into a bad thing. And that actually turned me down a whole road of sin because I was just trying to ignore this this situation in my life. And, you know, it, it didn't end up real well. As you can figure out, uh, it didn't end up real well. But there was just the divide and these pulls and all these different directions and all this stuff happening. And so picture this happening in the church. You know, and it, it wasn't necessarily with people, but it's like people getting pulled outside of the church. That was what was happening, right? God is the one part of the triangle, and then the world and Satan is the other part of the triangle, and then there's this, they're being pulled in two different directions. And so it, it was an interesting scenario, and it wasn't until many years later that I realized I was the problem. I was the one that came into their relationship. I was the one that created this whole mess. And if I would have just immediately gone and gone to him and talked about it, the whole thing could have been avoided. Friendships could have been saved. My crazy, horrible life and all the bad decisions I made as a result could have been saved. But for, for two or three years... I blamed him. And 
Isn't that how sin works? We tend to blame other people when the problem was right there the whole time. That was me. And that was a big revelation. And I think that was some of the point that James is trying to get across in this book that everybody's looking at each other and they're like, you know what? The problem is there and the problem is right in front of you. And I pray that even all of us, when we're in situations, hopefully not like that, that we will look at ourselves and see what is God doing with me to help to, to make this situation worse or better. And here's another uh, situation here. Uh, Captain America, an Iron Man. And usually his sword is used for some really cool stuff, right? Like he's, he's throwing it around, he's hiding behind it, he's fighting people with it, he's hitting people with it, whatever else he's doing with it. But here, in this situation, he is actually using it to fight one of his teammates, one of his guys. And so many times that God has given us all this great stuff, and instead of using it for the way he wants us to, sometimes we can use all of our power to fight one another or to fight the wrong battles instead of the mission and and helping the poor and doing the things that Jesus did, we can turn it, you know, on one another. And my second uh, story has... You guys really were paying attention that last time. That was pretty good here. My second story, it's, it's a different perspective. This one was as a Christian. And it was with uh, myself. I was about 20 years old. And Danielle, we had started talking to each other for a while. And then there was this other uh, sister. And I was home for the summer. And I was kind of talking to both of them at the same time. We weren't dating officially. I wasn't, I was clear there. I wasn't doing anything. Okay. Tell me you guys haven't done that, right? I'm looking at the singles in the room. You know how that goes, right? And so I'm talking to one and talking to the other. And, you know, I was, again, I was feeling pretty good about this situation too. And just trying to figure out, I wonder what God's going to do here. And this is going to be so great. And after the end of the summer, I ended up with neither. (laughs) <laughs> and uh you know uh danielle didn't didn't uh didn't want to keep going there so uh that she that was the first time she broke my heart there but uh don't, don't feel sorry for me don't feel sorry for me um i probably deserved it um i like that barry we don't feel sorry for you good and so um I don't even remember my point. I got all off track there. <laughs> but it's kind of like, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to decide, you know, and it was so stressful. I remember being so stressed out thinking, man, who am I going to pick and how is this going to work out and what am I going to say? And, and it just kind of ruined everything. And I think that in so many ways, whether we know it or not, we're being pulled in two different directions. Even, maybe not while you're here at church, but once you're outside of these walls. And so the theme scripture for today is this. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. 
And this is the principle that James is talking about, that they're being pulled in two different directions, and they're really not sure. The reason he's writing this is because they're not fully committed to Christ or fully committed to their old lives in the world. And he's trying to kind of rescue them out of that. And maybe you're sitting there today going, hey, I'm not really sure. I'm not really committed to Jesus, and I'm not really committed to going away from Jesus. I'm kind of in the middle. Even as Christians, sometimes we can be, we can start out where we're all in, and after a while, we're really not. We're pulled by all these different things. We're so distracted. We're so you know, uh, being choked out by the world is what it would be called spiritually. And so I'm gonna, we're going to read through a few things and talk about a few different areas, all with this principle in mind, is who is pulling you? How is God trying to reach us in these different ways? And the first one is prayer. And let's start reading in James chapter 4 and verse 1. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, and you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. This passage is so deep. I don't know if we have any psychology majors out there or deep thinkers, but there's a principle when you're doing marriage counseling called the 90-10 principle, that 90% of your issues and whatever the conflict is is with you. And with your history and your experiences and your family and whatever you're bringing into it, and 10% is with them. And that's what this principle, this scripture is bringing out, that when we're in a fight with someone, we're also in a fight with ourselves. That there's a conflict on on the inside that's coming out, and maybe this person is pushing whatever that button is, and we can tend to blame them rather than looking inward. I know as a younger man, this was huge to get in touch with, what am I really feeling? Why did that bother me so much? Why did that person just annoy me? And what button were they pushing? And that, that took a lot of years. And many of us and all of us were still working on that. But the whole idea that the outward battles in the church were coming from inward battles in their own life. And I don't know about you, but reading this through, there's one word that I put in there that that I underlined that stuck out with me. It was the word kill. And I was like, so we're writing it to church to say you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. And I'm like, what? (laughs) That's pretty extreme, right? If you're going to church and you don't get the right seat up front, you just start killing people. No, that's not what he's talking about. You know, he's re- re- writing to this audience here and relating, in a way, back to the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, it's not if you outwardly kill someone, 
but inwardly you've already done it. Inwardly you've written that person off. You've disregarded them. you put them to the side. You made them sit in the back. That's what they were doing here. And that idea that the reason you were doing that is because you didn't get what you want. And that that was the, the, the tension that was going on. Because when both people in an argument are walking with Christ, things get worked out. It's impossible to both be walking in the Spirit and have an issue that you cannot resolve. Not that we're going to, we're not perfect, believe me. But when you're walking in the Spirit, you can work things out. You can talk. You can hear the other person's side. Even if you don't agree, there's not this animosity and this killing spirit that he's talking about. And what else stands out? He says, you do not have because you do not ask God. Asking God. What does that mean, to ask God? Does that mean that anything you want, if you ask God, you're going to get it? Last time I checked, that's not exactly how it works. But everything comes by asking God. That it it can be true that sometimes if you don't ask, you don't have. It's what Jesus said, right? Ask and you shall receive. Sometimes we don't even ask God. We just try to do it ourselves. We try to take it into our own hands. We try to figure it out. We try to, you know, manipulate people and make things happen the way we want. And yet he's saying, ask God. Just put it before him. I found this quote. It said, All of heaven and all God's promises lie within the reach of the asking person. All of heaven and all God's promises lie within the reach of the person who asks God. And I don't know about you, but that should motivate us to pray and ask God and put our heart and our desires before him and put his promises before him that he's given us this amazing gift. If God would give you the desires of your heart, would you ask? Well, that's what he says. He loves you and he wants to give you the desires of your heart. And I pray that we ask God and we look to him to answer our prayers. See, they had prayers that were more selfish, that they wanted to spend what they got on their own pleasures. That it wasn't about God's will, it was about their own will. And so much of prayer is not about getting, it's about aligning ourselves with what God wants. Prayer is not just trying to get... God, who doesn't really want to give us something, we're trying to convince him to give it to us. Like, I know you don't really want to do this, but let me give you the five reasons why this is really the best idea. No, prayer is that our heart will trust him and we will submit to his plan that it's way better than whatever we had in our mind. And if he doesn't give us whatever we wanted, it's for our own good. That's what we need to pray about. That's the hard part, to get our spirit in line with God 
But I pray that you're motivated to ask God, not for yourself, but for others, for, for him, for those around you. But we can so easily come to God with our list of all the things that we want. It's like a Christmas list. And I pray that we have a different spirit towards praying to God than even that they had here. Amen. Number two, the Holy Spirit. Say it, say it with me. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. That is the most amazing gift that you have. That if you're a Christian, you have the incredible power to change the world in your own self. That you have direction. That when you read the Bible, you have understanding. And even if you're not a Christian, you still have a conscience. That God has given each of us to guide us. See, they weren't listening to the Holy Spirit. They weren't listening to what's right. They were listening to whatever they were angry about. They were, they were upset, and the Holy Spirit, he's like, hey, it's peaceful and loving and compassionate and gentle and understanding and faithful. And they, were, they weren't having that. They were listening to their own sprays, like, hey, there's, there's, something, there's a better way to do this. There's a better way to live. It's called the Holy Spirit. And I love this picture because in the Bible it talks about it as a dove when Jesus got baptized or this fire that came down and started the church or living water that continually nurses us from inside. That's the Holy Spirit. Let's continue reading. He says, you adulterous people. Man, this is quite intense just to prepare you. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God or hatred against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? Or another version said the spirit he caused to dwell in us envies intensely. That there was a battle going on within them. And I can't even get started here. That second word as I was reading, it's like, you you adulterous people. I mean, it just shocks me. Right? Do you feel shocked? If God's here talking to church people and saying, you're adulterous people. I mean, those fighting words right there. Right? You want to go? Let's step outside. I mean, no, I'm not adulterous. I'm faithful. He's like, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Your spirit is grieved within you, and you're ignoring it. He's, he's referring to the Old Testament prophets that they were so familiar with, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, where they, he kept confronting God's people. Why? Because they didn't put God first. Because they didn't worship God first. They lost their fear of God. They lost their respect for God. They started doing things their own way and using their time and their money and their heart and everything for their own good and not for God. And God called it adultery. And he said, I gave up everything for you. 
and you're turning away from me. Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. Either you will love me or you will hate me. Either you will serve me or you will serve the God of this world. And here he says, friendship with the world. What does that even mean? Friendship with the world. I mean, do I shake hands with the globe or something? <laughs> Hi, world. We're good friends. No, he, it means living a life motivated by envy. Trying to keep up with everyone else. Jealous of what they have. Struggling when you, watch, when you look on, on your social media because of other people's adventures and relationships and whatever they're doing. Selfish ambition. Jealousy. Judging others without mercy. Favoritism. Discrimination based on how people look. Those were all the things mentioned in the book of James. And those are all the things that can pull us, and God calls it friendship with the world. And he calls it hatred towards me. But God, I'm not in a love triangle with the world. And he's like, yes, you are. Just look at who's first in our life. But God, I'm not adulterous. Wait a second. He's saying to these Christians, yeah, you are. And maybe you feel a little bit uncomfortable right now. Like, wait a second, is he, is he talking about them? Or is he talking about us? Are we in a love triangle with the world? Are we adulterous? I don't know. But the spirit inside of us does. He said that spirit inside of us envies intensely. Okay, I wasn't going to say this, but let me do this. Say you pick up your wife's phone, and it's a text from some other dude. And it's not just a friend. How would you feel? That wouldn't be good. That's how God feels with the church here. I've given you everything. And you're getting texts and you're getting pulled and you're going different directions. That's how the spirit inside of us feels when we're not going God's way. When we're not putting God first, when we're not loving him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, the spirit is just like, stop it. And in that same intensity that I wouldn't act on it, but I'd be like, I'm going to kill that guy. That's the spirit inside of us. When you're cheating on God, he's not happy. And he's going to wreck your life until you get it straight. Because you already know what it means to love God. 
You've already tasted the sweet fellowship. You've already understood God's grace. And so he's trying to pull them back, and he calls them adulterous, and then he just said, the Spirit just wants to be close to you. He wants to be with you. He wants to go in the same direction. He wants you to go in the same direction as him. The Spirit is just pulling us towards God. And maybe today you feel that pull. If you're not feeling the pull, then amen. Recommit ourselves to the to our relationship with God and that Holy Spirit that is guiding us, that's leading us, that's helping us in our walk with Christ. The next point is relationship with God. You're still with me here. I know it got a little crazy there, but the Spirit is working on all of us. And this next section, I could have spent the whole time on this. I'm not even going to get into all of it. There's so many bedrocks of faith right here of what it means to have a relationship with God. And without them, you cannot be close to Christ. So many different things. It says, but he gives us more grace. Amen for that. In the middle of this chapter, in the middle of these difficult challenges, he says, you know what? There's always grace. God's grace is bigger than any sin that you can be in. I'll say that again. God's grace is bigger than any sin or situation that we could ever get into. That he can get us out. That he has that kind of power. He has that kind of love. That kind of forgiveness. He said, that is why the Spirit says God opposes the proud but so shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's a cool thought. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. We've sung that song a few times. Now he's getting down to the direction. So what do you want us to do, Jesus? What do you want us to do? What's the point? Stop fighting God. Humble ourselves before him. God, what do you want from me? What are you trying to show me? What do I need to change? Submitting ourselves to God. That's a whole big, that's a whole sermon right there. Allowing God to do what he wants to do with my life. That I'm going to fully submit. Wherever, whatever you want from me, God, I want to do it. I want to have that kind of heart that you want me to have. That anything that we do on our own power will be opposed. 
that if we want to do something and God doesn't want us to do it, he says that he will actively, what does it say? Uh, God opposes the proud. So anything we want to do that God doesn't want us to do, he's going to oppose us. He's going to directly come in conflict with us. And sometimes we, we think we just need to keep going harder. It's like, no, that's God trying to get you to stop. That's a wall you're running into. And it, God's like, if you go that way, it's going to be a lot better. But if you keep coming this way, I'm going to keep hitting you, and it's going to get harder and harder and harder. And a lot of us have probably run into that wall a few times. And we've hit rock bottom, and we're like, okay, that, that's not a good way. I'm not going to hit that wall again. I'm going to try this other way here because I want God to bless my – I want favor from God. It says he gives favor to the humble. You know, we keep mentioning the connections with the Beatitudes here, but the poor in spirit, the humble in heart, those are the people that God will lift up. It says he gives them favor, not because they deserve it, but because they realize they don't deserve it. I feel like the church in, that he was writing to, they felt like they deserved it. We deserve God's blessing. We've served him so well. We've been around for so long. We've been through so many battles. We just deserve God to just lift us up and just give us all these amazing things. It's like, yeah, I want to bless you, but let's talk about deserve for a minute. That none of us deserve that. He wants to bless us with that. And when we have that spirit, God can use us. I, love, I mentioned it when I was reading it. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I love that vision. That even the weakest person, if they decide, I'm going to fight the devil on this thing, the devil will flee from you with God. Because us and Jesus is more powerful than Satan every single time. And if whatever we're struggling with, if we decide, hey, I'm going to resist this, this is over. And we may fall back into it, and it may not go away for our whole lives, but it promises that here, when we take a stand for Christ, that the devil will not just walk away, but he'll run. That's the kind of power that we have with Christ, that he doesn't want to hear that kind of power. I love this statement, come near to God, and he'll come near to you. Just making a decision, I want to get near God. I want to get close to God. I believe that gets God's attention. I believe when we take one step, God takes a thousand. What does it mean to come near to God, to worship him, to pray to him? To praise him, to thank him, to ask him for counsel, ask him for help, be in communion with God, and decide, I'm going to line my life up with him. I'm not going to make him line his, his I'm not going to make him line himself up with what I want. I'm going to line myself up with what he wants. 
And when you continue to read the rest of this chapter, when you take a stand in the decision to come near God, it says that the devil flees here. It goes on to say that he gives us purity of motives and heart. It leads us to sorrow for our sin in a a right way, that we're convicted of our sin. It leads us to speak well of others and to make our life work for eternity. Just that simple decision, I want to get close to God, changes everything. And that was the opportunity he was given to this church. He said to grieve, mourn, and wail, you double-minded. And that word double-minded, it's, it's dipsychos. It's not found in any other writings except for Christian writings. This word dipsychos, this, this wavering person or someone who's uncertain or doubting or divided. Am I a friend of God? Am I an enemy of God? Am I going to go God's way or am I not going to go God's way? And I believe that maybe even today we have people that are in that that camp. I'm not sure where I am in my faith. I'm not sure if I'm wholehearted for God. I'm divided. I'm pulled. I don't want to go where God wants me to go. It's It's a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. I don't know if this was really what God wants from me. I'm sure Jesus had a lot of those same thoughts. When God says, you know what? The hardest thing you got to do, that, that's the direction you got to go. And sometimes as Christians, we can fight those difficult things, and God's like, if you would just trust me, this is going to work out for the best. And he calls them to grieve, mourn, and wail. I don't know about you, but that caught my attention. That's not something I want to do. You? I don't like grieving, mourning, wailing, and all of the above. Like, God, is, it, is there another way? You know, I'll take, I'll take door number four here. Because in our culture, this is not something that we, we embrace. You know, the Jewish culture, I mean, when something, somebody died or there was a, an issue with the, with the nation. People would wear sackcloth under their clothes. And they would put dirt on their head. And they wouldn't eat or drink for days. That was their culture. When they had a, a, a funeral procession, they actually had professional mourners that would go ahead of the, the body and just mourn and just let everybody know, we're, we're hurting, we're dying, we're 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 in pain. And every part of me wants to not go there. I don't want to feel that. I, don't want, I want everything to be good. Let's go back to like life to the full. That's what Jesus came to bring. That's what we want. He's like, if you want that, you still got to go here. Because there's a lot to grieve, mourn, and wail with, within the church here. And I believe in a lot of ways God's helping us to get there. And he's given us a few things to mourn. And it's been tragic these past year even. To look people that have lost loved ones. We've lost 
our, uh, a lot of our things that we're used to. You know, we look around and things aren't the way they used to be and we're, we're mourning. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's what God wants from us. Let's not keep looking for this life to the full. Let's, let's take those things to God. Maybe it's time to have some more cries with God. And let him know the things that you're not happy about and the things that are upsetting you. And maybe that's what God is waiting for. We're all trying to fix it. He's like, really, are you going to fix it? Or am I going to fix it? And this is convicting to me as it is for maybe for you. But I believe that God wants to ultimately see us humble ourselves. And lift. he wants to lift us up. Not because we're so great, not because we've been Christians for so many years, but because he loves us. Because he wants a people that he can use. I'm just going to read this last one because I I think I spent too much time on the previous one. Judging others. You can go back and read this chapter uh, for yourself. But I believe that this entire chapter is about this last part. I never thought about it before. But the whole book is about favoritism and judging others and your words and He kind of brings it to a close here. He says, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister judges them, speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you? To judge your neighbor. This is a huge passage in the book of James. Because there was a lot of judgment going along. And he's basically saying if you don't keep the whole law. Then you need to be real careful how you judge others. That if you're someone that needs mercy. You better be willing to give that out. Or God's not going to give it out to you. And they became very good at uh, pointing the finger at others and not being a people of mercy. And I was convicted looking at this, even this week, in how we talk about people that aren't there. And I've done it too. I even did it this week. Man, I'm so, it's so easy to be judgmental and not like certain things and be bothered. And I want, so I want you to think about not your talks with people that you maybe don't agree with, people that are, you know, you're in conflict with, because a lot of times when we're in those discussions, we're pretty, we're pretty careful, right? We're super careful. But what I want us to think about is your private talks that you've had with safe people. With people you could be yourself with. With your your best friends, with your family. Those are the conversations when 
This is going to come out. You know, I even had one of my friends call me a homie this week. That was pretty funny. I had two, actually. Abe and uh, Rafael Lua called me homie this week. But it got me thinking, like, what we talk about with our best friends, that's when we see if we really judge people or not. And let's, be, let's check ourselves with that. You know, they needed to check themselves, and I know that we need to check ourselves. I know I need to check my own self. But I want to use that. I want to walk with the Spirit. I don't want to grieve the Spirit in my words. I want to build people up. Even if I don't agree, even if there's things I don't, maybe they're not doing that or right, there's a way to handle that in a spiritual way. And that's the church that I believe that God wants us to be. So, amen. As we take communion today, I want to quote a scripture that Ray, uh, chapter Ray was talking about on Wednesday night. He says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Let's come to God with that spirit that we can get our hearts cleansed. That whatever guilty conscience we may have, that he can make us pure. Let's consider our prayer life with God. And consider praying not just to get him to give us things, but to line ourselves up with what he wants to do with us. Let's think about the Holy Spirit that he's given us or the conscience that he's given us that is trying to guide us, that desires you greatly. Don't fight it. Don't keep fighting the Spirit if you're doing that because you won't win, number one, but it's a lot better to go where God wants you to go. Think about our relationship with God, our humility to put our pride aside and allow him to use us and decide, I want to be close to God. I want to be near to God as he wants to be near to me. And let's leave our judging to God because as we come before the cross, it's all level. And we all need the body and the blood and the forgiveness that God wants to give us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this time to come to you. We thank you that you love us. Thank you that even in a really intense passage, Father, that you tell us that you give us more grace. God, thank you so much for that, God. Help our hearts to be pleasing to you. God, we want to be lifted up by you, not just because we don't want to suffer, but because we want your will to be done on the earth. God, help us to learn to to lament before you, to grieve and to mourn and to wail. Help us to put our troubles in your hands and things that, 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 that just grieve your spirit, God. Help us to become a people that are more in touch with you. God, we love you. We thank you for this time. Thank you for the body and blood of Christ that we celebrate at this time. It's in his name we pray.